listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Really? I, I feel like I'm doing all the work here. Is it okay to ask God for a miracle every once in a while? Yeah, it is. You just need to know that today. I need these glasses or I'm going to need a miracle of eyesight. It's a good time this morning. I, I, uh, how many people enjoyed Ricky Harvey last week? Yeah? Good? Good. It was so kind of the Lord to coordinate a visiting preacher from England on the weekend I was going to be sick. So he's good that way. I heard it was an amazing time. Sorry I missed it. But it was the beginning of what we're calling a season of uh, renewal and repentance. With all your heart, we're calling the series. And it's a series lining up with the season of Lent. Now, Lent in the past, maybe you've been a part of churches that have done Lent. And um, sometimes those are, those are places filled with kind of obligation and guilt and, you know, um, legalisms. I'm not sure what your experience of Lent has been. I've never been a part of a church tradition that really emphasized Lent. And so, I don't know what your experience was. A new, new person came up to me a couple weeks ago and says, what's this whole thing about Lent? I'm like, I don't know. What is this thing about Lent? <laughs> but I know this, that getting our hearts ready, taking time to prepare our hearts and to consider our hearts and to bring our hearts before the Lord is something we don't regularly do enough. And the idea of Lent as preparation, as a season building up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, getting our hearts ready. Some people even like to fast or deprive themselves of things in Lent as a way of just identifying with Christ's own sufferings and how he set his own divinity aside. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the cheeseburgers aside just as a, kind of an association with Christ. It's not nearly enough, but it's something. And so some people fast. But the idea is that we would go through a couple weeks where we brought our hearts before the Lord and says, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me. Lord, won't you lead me in the way of everlasting? It's a moment to consider and to be intentional and think about these things. I, um, I know that our hearts, the Bible says, are, are fickle and deceitful. And that if we don't if we don't teach our heart what to love, it will love something wrong. That our heart is deceptive, and if we don't teach our heart what to hate, we'll hate things we should love. Your heart is reckless, and it should not be left to its own devices. But we're to teach and to train our hearts what is important and what we're to care about. You know, if you leave your heart at the disposal of just the world as we know it, you might find that your heart doesn't care much about anything. Many people out there that are so cynical and burned out by life as we know it, that their heart doesn't care much for anything. But the Bible says, guard your heart, for it is the source of everything in your life. And so the idea of a, a season of repentance and renewal, it's the idea of Lent and, and taking some time to, to consider and prepare our hearts 
for the great salvation of God is a time for us to teach and to train and disciple our heart. How many people know your heart desires things that don't help you? Right? Yeah. How many people know your heart is not loving the things it needs to be loving? Right? It spends all its time spinning its wheels, loving things it shouldn't. And then there is this great, beautiful, whatever God has in your life. You say, you know what? I, I don't love that as I should. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it's your homework. <laughs> so in these next couple weeks, and starting yesterday, or last week with Ricky, although I don't know how faithful he was to our topic, we're going to talk about living with all of your heart. With all of your heart. So turn in your Bibles. We're going to start in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 has a name. It's the Shema. It's the, it's the uh, you could call it the Pledge of Allegiance of all good Hebrew Old Testament people. They said it every morning. They put their hands on their heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. When it says the Lord your God is one, it doesn't mean he's schizophrenic with many personalities. It means the Lord your God is everything. So let's pick up our reading, Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to start in verse 3 because it has a very important ingredient. It says this, Hear, Israel, hear, church, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Say that. It may go well with you. The Bible continues and always attaches this idea of obedience and blessing. It's going to be a major theme of all the things we hear in these next weeks. But he says, here, listen to me, people of God. Be careful to obey. Why? So that it may go well with you and that you may greatly increase greatly. I, we just need to pause there a moment. And here, God is calling his people to obey. Not with a, not with a, you know, a, you know, a whip on your back and a twisting of the arm. But the Lord is pleading with His people. Says, "Listen, be careful that you obey. Make sure your heart desires that which is right, and that your life does that which is right. Why? So that it will go well with you, and that you might increase. How, does that sound good or not?" Yeah, Lord, yeah, wait. You mean all I have to do is obey and you're gonna, it's gonna go well with me and my life is gonna increase? What a beautiful heart God has for you. That it may go well with you and that you may increase in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. I just think you, you have to you have to reboot your mind sometimes because there's so much just rotten thinking that goes on in the world, particularly around the theme of God and God's people. That somehow God is out to get something off of you or that God is out to, to control or manipulate your life or that, that religion itself is corrupt and trying to, to just squeeze everything it can out of you. People of God... We need to just get this right in our minds. That God's heart and God's desire for your life is that it goes well with you. He didn't make you to wreck your life. You weren't born for disaster and trouble. You were born for God's blessing. 
You were born to live and to conduct yourself with dignity. You were born and created so that you might love your brother and sister. You were, you were put on this earth that you might have increase, that God might bless you and that you might be a blessing to others. This is the heart and the purpose of God. And every command and every plea for you to obey God is to direct you in that direction. That it may go well with you. I'll continue. Well, actually, let me pause a moment. Ephesians 6.1, how many, how many kids have learned Ephesians 6.1 in your life? You might be an adult now, but you had to learn when you were little. See, this explains society's problems right here. I, I can't, all the kids are gone, so this is my little spiel for anyone that has any influence on a child. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not obey your parents in their wrath, not obey your parents in their insecurities, not obey your parents because they have something to prove through your life because they didn't accomplish it in their own. No. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You with me? You got really quiet when I went on that little rant. <laughs> For this is right, of course it is. Quote, honor your father and mother, end quote, which is the first commandment with a promise. What? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's not like a veiled threat that parents will kill their children if they don't obey. It means that in this idea of obedience, even to parents, it causes it to go well with you. When, uh, when Sam and I were doing youth ministry, there was a book that someone wrote. It says, How to Get Your Parents to Do Anything You Want. A lot of kids read that book. But it was a bit of a you know, bait and switch because it basically said if you honor them, and if you obey them, your parents will do anything you want. They'll, they'll just move heaven and earth to bless you. Generally, as a rule, that's true, right? There's some mean geysers out there that just want to be mean to their kids, but... But you have to learn what it means to obey, don't you? Children don't know how to obey when they first grow up. They just don't. They want what you got, and they'll learn how to get that from you, but that's not obedience. In the same way, people don't know how to obey. We have ideas of what it means to obey, but we, we just don't know it naturally. Like with our children, you have to teach them how to obey the first time you ask them, right? And we used to tell our kids that, obey the first time. If I have to ask you a second time, we're in the disobedience zone. Right? How many times does the Lord have to ask you to do something before you do it? Just the first time? You got it? Right? <laughs> no! You guys are like, Ugh. It's like, yeah, as long as I get to it eventually, Lord, as, as long as after three or four times or you drop a big rock on my head to get my attention, then I'll obey you. That is not obedience. That's called discipline. Obedient heart obeys the first time. But you have to teach your heart that. How many of you know that true obedience is first time obedience? Now you do. You teach that to your kids. It'll pay off great dividends for you and for them. How about this? Obedience isn't obedience unless it's with joy. Biblical obedience is joyful obedience. It's not begrudging obedience. It's not, I hate you, but you're bigger than me, God, so I guess I got to do it. 
because you're going to like curse my life if I don't. That's not the obedience God's looking for. Obedience must be taught. It must be nurtured. And you are the shepherd and the caretaker of your own heart. You need to learn how to obey in the right ways. Obedience should not be a dark word or a bad word. Obedience should be this beautiful doorway and threshold to joy and prosperity and blessing. It's this internal, deep desire to obey that God is really after. The, 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 the person who, who says to God, Lord, I just, I long to obey you. And you can even throw on whatever it costs, Lord, however it is, you know. I love the, I love the scripture in one of the epistles where it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And when I think of whatever happens, my mind just begins running, whatever. Whether it's easy or hard or expensive or cheap or, you know, what I want or what I don't want, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whatever it is, I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is a desire I've had to foster because when I was younger, that was not my desire. And even as I've grown older, I've lost those desires at times. And I have to come back to the word of God, this precious gift to us, that helps me recalibrate and realign my heart that I desire to obey and that I desire to obey the first time and with joy. It's not just for children. Kicks, it's not just for kids. You're not old enough for that commercial. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These are commandments that I give you today. They're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. and When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus quotes this when he's asked, right? What's the most important thing? What's the bottom line when it comes to our relationship with God? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as a matter of fact, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Living Word Church, right? What's our tagline? Loving God, loving people. That's in sum. This idea, though, of loving God is... It's, it's this vision of a God-honoring life, a God-honoring family, God-honoring society. And it's quite beautiful. I mean, if you just simply read through and, and look at the language that it, it's written in, it starts with you, right? He says to, to, the, to, to the reader, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Growing up, my mom used to always say, do as I say, not as I do. She was joking most of the time. But hypocrisy in the home is lethal. It is. If you've got parents telling their kids, teaching their kids to do things, and the parents themselves aren't doing it, that's like, that's lethal. 
to family unity and to, to, to right training of children. They say the number one influential person in a child's life is still their mom or dad and dad. You think it's the web pages and the Snapchats and the kids at school. It's not. It will always be their parents. You may feel like they're way out of control and you don't have the same influence you did, which is probably true because there was a day when you could just pick them up by the arm and put them where you wanted them. And that day is long past. But the most influential person in a young person's life is their parents, for better or for worse. And so the idea of loving God, it starts with you, and only then can you impress it on your children. I love how practical this is because he just breaks it down. He's like, this lifestyle, this lifestyle of godliness, this, these habits, that when you're sitting on your bed or when you're walking down the road, he's like, are you, is there an expression of, God's, of, of loving God in those places? I, I think for us, you know, when, when, when our kids were still in the family, it was because we would pray. They would hear us pray. They knew that mom and dad loved the Bible and read the Bible. Right? And Sam was amazing at it. She'd drive the kids to, to school along the road, and on the way to school, they would pray. And just a little prayer right before they got to, to, to school. But there is this expression of love and honoring God that should take place in all the different areas of our lives. I, I love it how it says, even on your doorposts, right? So you're walking into your house, there's an expression of love of God. Some people, you work hard, you're frustrated with your day, you have to deal with a lot of difficult circumstances. You think it's your right to just plop yourself down in your house and be like the devil. Just because you worked and brought a paycheck in, that somehow you can just not have a godly expression in your home. That's where the real bread is buttered, right? Because in your home, you let your guard down. When you come to church and you go to someone's house, you're all dressed up, looking good, careful what you say. And I'm glad you are, by the way. Thank you for that. But walking in the doorposts, right, is where it really happens. That's where the, the action happens. And I praise God that it does because it's a perfect spot, it's a perfect arena for us to learn how to love God together, learn how to love each other. I used to tell our kids all the time when they were young, they would get mad at each other and, you know, Abby would come and say, Luke told me my head was too big or something, you know. And, and I'd say, well, that's a shame. Your head's just right, honey. I says, but... You didn't choose your brother, did you? He just showed up one day. She's like, yep, true. I says, well, God chose him for you so that you could learn how to love people you didn't choose to be around. That's what the home is for. We learn to love and we learn to obey. The doorposts going in and the gates on the way out. There's, there's, it's like the cliche, right? The oldest time cliche that People dress up on Sunday, but then Monday, they go to heaven on Sunday, and they live like hell all week long, you know, using different language, you know, talking about different things, thinking different, the whole thing. It's like, as long as I make a good showing on Sunday, I can live like I want to live otherwise, and that's just the farthest thing from the biblical truth, that even in the gates of your house, as you're walking out of your home, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all that you are. That somehow your outside world, your outside life, your outside testimony 
might be as someone who, whatever happens, conducts themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the very reason one of the qualifications for an elder or a deacon is to have a good reputation with outsiders. Why is that? Well, because if you know how to conduct yourself in the church loving God, but you don't know how to conduct yourself in the rest of the world loving God, then there's no place for you in leadership because you've got to get that sorted out. You've got to know how to live a consistent life that loves God. And some people have a harder time in their home, and some people have a harder time outside of their home. Some people have a hard time everywhere. But God's heart is that it would go well with you and that God might bring increase to your life. And the pathway, the road to do that is to obey his commands. And the first command is to teach your heart how to love what's right and to love the Lord your God with all your mind, strength, soul. You know the list now. That's the way it goes. And it's not to harm you or confine you. It's to bless you and expand you. But let me say, as we're entering the season of repentance and renewal, if I'm saying these things and you're like, yeah, I got it down in my house in the church, but I do not have it down in the world. I'm no different than anyone else. I'm insecure about my faith in the world. I don't know how to love God in public. I can love him deep down in here, but I don't know how to love him on the outside. We sang the song inside, but it starts inside, but it's got to come out. If it don't come out, you got to wonder if it's really there. I think the, um, the issue we all come up to is, is the issue the ancient Israelites had. Is that God gave them this beautiful promise so to go well with you and that he might increase you. And he says, you just teach your heart to obey and to love that which is good, right, true. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But I think today, even as they did back in those centuries, people had trouble loving God with all of their heart. And compromise began to just chip away into their life. Or or maybe it's not even compromise. Maybe they never even got to a place of fully loving God. They just always kind of hung out in these lower realms of like liking God or having kind intentions towards God. But this idea of being fully committed, loving God unconditionally, putting him first in your life, that never really, you never really got there. Or if you got there, living in the world, living through circumstances, living through your own failures, it causes you just to compromise. And all that sagged into this kind of soggy area of, I have a general affection for God, but I don't feel it's right. And our hearts are exposed. Our hearts are exposed in their hypocrisy. This is why God brought the prophets. You begin reading the prophets in the Old Testament, and their job, they were like the spiritual police force. Man, the prophets, they weren't like just, you know, pious little recluses that lived up in the mountains. No, they did crazy stuff, that's for sure. But they were the people that came and brought the confrontation. And their job was to, they were like to draw the plumb line. You know what a plumb line is, right? To make sure it's straight. Right? You you tie a string to a nail and you put a weight on the bottom and that thing is going to go straight. 
Well, the prophet's job was to bring the plumb line and show the people that their lives were not lined up with God's covenant of blessing. And for their good, they would call them back and say, look, your heart's not lining up. Your life's not lining up. And generally, they would stone the prophets and reject the prophets. I think the prophet with the worst job and the worst life, I mean, the guy just suffered, was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah exposed God's people as he exposes us today. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2.13, it says, My people, speaking to the God's people, have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, God, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so Isaiah comes to them and says, look, here's what you're doing. And he brings this metaphor. He's like, here you have God, the the river of living water, and you have forsaken him. You were to love him with all of your heart, and you have not loved him with all of your heart. You have forsaken that beautiful river of life, and you're sitting there with a shovel trying to dig a cistern so somehow you can catch water because you want to get water on your own. You don't want water from God. You want your own water. And those cisterns, they fill up with water, but they just leak. They don't even work. And instead of loving God with all their heart, they love themselves. And loving yourself before God does not work. Later on in his book, chapter 7, he says this. I gave them this command, speaking to the commands of, like we're talking about in the law. I said, obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. Recognize that again? That it may go well with you. Verse 24. But they did not listen, and they did not pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. So instead of having a happy heart where they're blessed by God and God's increasing them because they're loving God, their heart got stubborn. And they began to follow the stubborn inclinations of their heart. My mother used to always tell me how stubborn I was when I was younger. I said, Mom, I'm not stubborn. That's just determination. But we all know the stubborn inclinations of our hearts. We want to do it our way. We want to do it the way we think it's right. If you say tomato, I'm still going to say tomato. It's just, we want to have it our way. It's got to make sense to me first. But God brings these, his word, and God brings the prophets to us like a stop sign. and says, stop. Stop digging your own well. Stop listening to your own stubborn heart. Come back to the Lord. Come back to his ways. Come back to his commands. You know, people, even when they drive today, don't always look at stop signs. You know that running a stop sign or a stoplight is one of the primary violations on the roads today. I read some uh, statistics on this. That according to available statistics, running stop signs and red lights are the two of the most common violations committed by drivers. Statistics show that every 111 minutes, a pedestrian is killed due to the failure to stop. I mean, it's just such a simple thing. 
stop the stupid car, right? But why do we run stop signs? Why do we run stop signs? Why do we, why do we run red lights? We're in a hurry. Yeah. Everyone's hurrying around. I got time to stop. You, that, those eight seconds are going to like ruin my day. Why else do we run stop signs? Distracted. You're not even paying. Oh, Lord, help us. We're texting on our phones. Right through a stop sign. Every 111 minutes, some pedestrian gets killed. Distracted. You're in a hurry. Why else do we run stop signs? Because we can. We feel powerful. We're rebellious. I'm driving this guy's my car. I'll tell it when to stop. I don't know about you, but I don't like the way stop signs make me feel. All that lurching forward and then pushing backwards. It's like hard on the core. As I get older and my core weakens, it's like, oh, it's exhausting. I think I pulled a muscle at a stop sign. Right? I'm being ignorant now. But listen to me. Some of, some of you, God's giving you these big, beautiful stop signs. Like, he loves some of you so much that he's giving you one of those flashing red lights. It's not even like a static sign. It's flashing. And you're like, in my car. Or you're distracted, or you're in a hurry. We got a really weak core. I don't know what your issue is. But the Lord's saying, stop. Stop. Stop your car. Stop your stubborn heart. Stop your arrogant self-love. We think you could do it better. Come back to the Lord. Come back. Obey his commands. Trust him. It may not make sense to you right now. You may not like the way it feels right now. You may not. It might be the hardest thing in the world for you to do. But God promises you that if you obey him, if you come back to his word, and if you love him with all of your heart, and you set your affections on him, and you learn how to love right, and stop letting your heart run amok, loving all the garbage of the world, God promises that it'll go well with you. It is his heart's desire that it goes well with you. And he brings increase to your life. My mom got hit by someone who blew a stop sign the other day, last year. Oh. Showed up at the hospital. She's in one of those flatboard stretchers with a neck brace on. I'm like, are you kidding me? <clears throat> Praise the Lord, she's okay. Maybe you've seen someone with carnage in their life, and they haven't heeded God's stop signs. I don't know about you, but now when I see a stop sign, I think of my mom. Like, I don't want to hit some lady. But in life, somebody goes through a divorce and it breaks your heart. They go, they go through some tragedy of finances or broken relationships, and we just think it's normal. Well, whatever, then you go home and you're not kind to your wife. Oh, or you, or you see, you know, <laughs> you see people that are, that are just like cheating all the time. And you're like, well, that's just the way of the world, you know? 
It doesn't really even stop you from cutting corners. Or, or people, people just stretch the truth and lie and kind of manipulate just to, just to make it sound a little bit better because they're insecure about the way people perceive them. And we just think that's normal. And then you kind of do it too. So you got two liars and deceivers and insecure people spitting the facts, trying to make each other look good in each other's eyes. And God's just like, stop! Stop. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get it right with him. We don't all obey perfectly, I guarantee that. Nobody does obey perfectly. That's actually the whole lesson of the law in the Old Testament is we cannot obey perfectly. But Jesus did. He obeyed perfect. That's why we call him the spotless lamb that was slain for us. The perfect substitute of atonement. The only possible debt that could have been paid to clear your guilty docket. He says, follow me. Look to me. Listen to me, Jesus says. Listen to me. The pathway of following Jesus is not this pathway of, of like perfection. You can't do it. But we see the love of God in Christ. We see the love of God in the scriptures that says it will go well with us if we obey. If we, if we contort and twist and modify our lives so that we learn to love which is right and hate that which is evil, if we train and teach our affections to love God more than anything else, and then when those moments come where God is calling you to sacrifice, where God is calling you forward to love someone and to forgive someone who doesn't love or forgive you, when God is calling you to do something very, very difficult, you say to yourself, yes, Lord, I desire to do that. Now help me to do it. It will become your greatest joy to obey, even though it costs you everything. Some of you have sacrificed great things for the gospel. Some of you, you have tithed faithfully since you were young. 10% of everything you've got, you've brought before the Lord, you've given to him. Do you know what you could have bought with all that stuff? And yet you've done it done it joyfully. Many of you have kept short lists of those who offended you and refused in your heart to hold a grudge. What a joy that must be to you, to be free of all that nonsense, to be free of that resentment and that hatred. God's blessing you because of that. Jesus says, follow me. I read a quote. I don't, I'm not a good Twitter person. I have an account. Does anybody here follow me? I've never posted anything. <laughs> but I'm just waiting for, like, once I get like a thousand followers, I'm going to say something. And it's going to be really good. I'm just holding out. I'm waiting. It's brewing. As soon as I get the followers, I'm in. But um, I forget who showed this to me, but it was a tweet or a face something from Michael W. Smith, of all people. And it was this. Religion says this, quote, I messed up. 
My dad is going to kill me. But the gospel is this. I messed up. I need to call my dad. I'm going to end with a scripture from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. We're talking about hearts. Hard hearts, stubborn hearts, happy hearts. Ezekiel 36 is this incredible prophetic message by the prophet who speaks of a day when God will change our hearts. We live in that day. These days are upon us in Christ. Verse 24, it says this, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I, um, I want to echo this theme for us, that, that we would have a, a prayer to the Lord, to say, Lord, I want you to remove from me my heart of stone. And you may not have a full-on heart of stone. You may just have some gravel in the bottom or something, Right? Sometimes when we talk about repentance and renewal in God, it demands of us a major and radical shift of life, right? Like you're approaching a stop sign at like 80 miles an hour and you just got to slam on the brakes, right? All the, all the, the change from the back dash is flying to the front and everything is like, and you're just like holding on for dear life, hitting the brakes hard. Listen, if that's you, do it. Hit the brakes. Lock them up right now. Stop. Turn back to God. Yeah. But maybe, maybe you're just doing 35. Maybe just gently cruising through a neighborhood, and there's a stop sign, and you're about to do a rolling stop. You're going to tap the brakes. Not that full lurch backwards, you know, that hurts the core, but, but you're just going to kind of roll through and kind of cheat the stop sign. Not a major slamming on the brake situation, but maybe it, it could very well be, and it likely is, a minor adjustment moment. So you know what? I've been rolling through stop signs that God's putting up for me. I've been rolling right through. I've been looking. You know, I'm being careful. I don't want to looking for cops, really, more than pedestrians. <laughs> but listen, I want you to make your prayer. Say, Lord, give me a new heart. Take this heart of stone that somehow I've become accustomed to justifying my ungodly behavior, my, my, my compromises, my language, my sexual life, my mind. Lord, I, 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 I'm just tapping the brakes when it comes to forgiving people, when it's coming to bringing my offering before the Lord, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever part of your heart needs to love God fully. This Ezekiel passage helps us because it says that God 
come to him, he'll give us a new heart, put a new spirit in us, and that he will help us to obey. Listen, this is not about the condemnation of your failure. We know that's already true. What this is is about the hope that God is giving to say, come to me. Let your heart learn to love rightly, and let me bless you. Amen. Stand up. Let's get, we're going to end. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and just play that song inside out. And I just want to give you a moment while it's going on. You don't have to sing it. Maybe you need to sing it. You don't have to raise your hands, but maybe you need to raise your hands. You don't need to get on your knees, but maybe you need to get on your knees. But this is a song. This is a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to say, Lord, search me and know my heart right now. I've been too busy. I've been too distracted. I've been too proud. I've been too doing my own thing because I can. And right now, you've given me a moment to slow it down. And I'm asking you, Lord, to put the spotlight of your love in my heart. And if I need to slam on the brakes, Lord, help me slam on the brakes. Put your seatbelt on. If you need to just come to a full stop instead of, you know, I've made it clear. But I want to ask you to do that before the Lord and just say, Lord, here I am. Transform me from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Lead us, Christ.